0: This is a strange topic. The dangers of getting emotionally healthy. I would say the majority of population, especially once you leave big cities where people are more educated in general, interested in education. I don't like cities, but I like city populations. There's diversity. There's single women, there's uh, gender choices, and very little, I want to say, social isolation because you're different. <clears throat> Whereas if you live in rural areas, even an hour or two outside of a city, very often you will find a population that is more uh, traditional, particularly in the white world, of Having family and discussions are about families. Going all the way back to great-grandparents, shopping, the grandkids, the husbands. If you're with the husbands, the wives, work. No big discussions on intellectual concepts. The world in terms of curiosity, not venting and complaining. And very little... Exploration of new ideas, new developments in science, psychology, spirituality, etc. If you become more emotionally healthy, what happens is you often expect the rest of the world to be that way. And all these talks about vulnerability, etc. is in with a certain class of people that listen to those kind of podcasts. But making yourself vulnerable to someone who is a white supremacist or a misogynist or a budding narcissist is extraordinarily dangerous. And being authentic and honest with a population that wouldn't mind stringing you up for blasphemy and being the devil incarnate and for speaking against Jesus even if you're from, say, another country that never even heard of Jesus, again, extraordinarily dangerous. And the problem is also that you can't necessarily teach those around you how to respond to you well. You can ask, But most of the time, there's not any interest in complying. In fact, it's seen as a rather weird request because that is part of being mature and healthy is to just directly make a request, please don't talk to me like that, or I get upset when you say whatever. That's not normal conversation. That's the conversation of recovery. That's the conversation of therapy. That's the conversation of um, people interested in learning the art of communication, especially with diversity, and I should say also true intimacy. Normal conversations have so much politics behind it. What you say and don't say can make or break your career. Who you say it to, when you say it, how you say it can make or break your career. But beyond that, emotionally, you can get in a lot of trouble behaving as if another person you've met, a friend or lover or potential lover, or maybe just a group of acquaintances that you like a lot, and you come from your recovery perspective your recovery talk, and they have no idea what that is. One good example that has always been an issue for me, even among uh, parts of my family, is having eye conversations. So, in recovery, Al-Anon, AA, Codependence Anonymous, any of the 12-step programs, if you ever been to therapy for more than two sessions, (laughs) you'll know about this also, which is you're always encouraged to talk about something from your point of view. You take responsibility for your end, your feelings, your perspective. Good girl, P. And the expectation is the other person will then come in with well yeah you know my part was and i did and then you begin to both look at how to rectify this so it doesn't happen again in the future because it was hurtful or just plain ugly and not helping people get close but instead lashing out being reactive getting triggered But very often, if not always, what will happen if you have an eye conversation with someone who has not been exposed to therapy or 12 steps or psychology in any form whatsoever is that you will say, your part, I did this, I felt this, my perceptions were. And now the other person will join in and also talk about you. So now you're having a conversation where both of you, Are talking about what's wrong with you and the other person never says anything about themselves and that is a horrible conversation to have (laughs) because it's hard enough to be authentic and vulnerable and then to have someone kind of jump on the bandwagon of tearing you apart and adding to that and taking zero responsibility for their part in the interaction is excruciating, to say the least. And I don't know why it's so hard for people who have not been educated in psychology of any kind to even hear a request to not do that. I have tried this with people some of whom actually had some psychology in their background, but for some reason, using the word I in a sentence to resolve conflict or straighten something out was simply not in their vocabulary. And setting a boundary with them, such as, let's say, the last in a series of trying to set boundaries. So the strongest boundary is, If you start any sentence again with the word you, instead of I, I'm ending this conversation. That was like the third or fourth or fifth boundary. (laughs) And it still didn't work by the way. It ended up with fine, click. (laughs) Not just once, many times. Transitioning from recovery to working in a workplace where you are not a boss, you're a subordinate, you cannot, in 99% of the time, come from an I place or an idealistic place or an authentic place even, somewhat authentic. But there's so much politics involved. If the boss or bosses are not healthy, then your job, in part to keep your job, is to keep them happy. In other words, you've recovered from codependency a lot, still a work in progress, maybe forever, which is fine. And here you have to be a people pleaser with your boss or clients. Or customers, customer service. And it's a division of authenticity. Where do I find a place where I can truly be me? And when and where do I have to act in different ways without compromising myself too badly that I feel still good about myself? And yet I can be political enough to keep my job, my relationships at my job, my relationships with my customers intact. And I wish that people like Brene Brown and Glennon Doyle would address these things. (laughs) I'd love to hear their take on it, which is you're not in a leadership position you don't work for yourself as a writer. You have a boss, and your boss is a normal person. So that's one set of skills. You're in recovery, and yet you have to learn to people please in a job, and not to a degree that you hate yourself. If that happens, time to quit your job. And the people pleasing doesn't have to be disgusting. I like making people happy. I like taking care of people. So I look at it that way, that that's my service. It's selfless service, which means myself doesn't get to have a big role in that service. And I also remember it's just a job. Go get the bunnies, Pia. <laughs> hide from her in plain sight by holding still. How many of us do that? (laughs) So people pleasing at the job, making that decision, doing it in a way that makes sense to you, that you see it as service, not as codependency, is one of the great ways I have found to handle working in a job, as long as I love the job and I see the service in it, I can do that. It doesn't bother me. And I still have limits with all of that. Then you have levels of friendships. You have maybe friends you have fun with, friends you go to movies with friends you do dinner with, friends you go hiking with. And again, if they're not in recovery, they're not educated at all in psychology, they are not going to come from a place of authenticity and vulnerability and all of that good stuff. Many people I have met what I will refer to as muggles, for those of you who have read Harry Potter, non-magical people, and I put in that group people who are not in any kind of recovery work, psychology, personal growth, spiritual growth, will not apologize, ever. (laughs) It's seen as a sign of weakness. Taking responsibility, being accountable to another person in their eyes, makes them vulnerable to some kind of attack, rejection, or possibly just being seen as weak when they need to present as strong in order to get through life. Quite incredible. So if you're expecting muggles to take accountability and be responsible, good luck. I have not found that. Again, unless it's somebody who has been awakened to some degree. Typically, what you will see is not talking about it and moving on as if it never happened. There's no practice of inventory, no practice of looking at my actions, my choices, my life, and, and seeing if I am... Okay with that. There might be between them and their higher power at home privately, but that discussion will never happen with another human being. Also, lots of folks don't give a hoot about feelings, they don't care what feelings are. Feelings are a privilege many people that is their experience and for many people talking about feelings will trigger them many muggles are on medication drinking smoking weed eating cbd prescription meds etc good sign that discussions about how you feel are not only unwelcome but very often Triggering. (laughs) I met with a group of power women out here in the Inland Empire, and they wanted to have a sharing circle. Sharing circle, yay! So their sharing was all about their power. By the way, they're all supported by their husbands. Not one of them was a right in her own world. She was a satellite trying to find a way to feel like having a reason to exist in a man's world. I totally get it. But that's what all the sharing was about. A lot of it was around things like shopping or my hobbies, and I'm going to have it no matter what, and I did this and I did that. Again, all with their husband's money, So, but no talk about that split. So I was there with someone else and we talked about how we felt and the room got silent and the woman who called the meeting said, Well, you know what, I think that's enough for today and we hadn't finished the circle. Never heard from one of them again. <laughs> ah, these were older mature women. Oh so, it's different now with Millennials. I'm not sure. I haven't had a circle with just Millennials in it. So if you become awakened on that, go on that journey of awakening, you are interested in emotional health, spiritual growth, you might have to study workplace politics. I did. <laughs> I definitely had to study that. Small talk, polite responses, wind and how to recognize politics. I know my brother, an attorney, uh, told me to read a book, How to Win an Argument. He's a lawyer, a trial lawyer, so his job is to win arguments. And I had to study those things. I still forget them at times. I come from the heart and the shock on someone's face and the dismal outcome show me over and over again that not a good choice with lots of people to do that. How do you survive in a split environment like that? One environment where you can be you, heartfelt, authentic, real, etc. And the muggle environment that you probably live in, unless you live in a place like Santa Cruz or many parts of Los Angeles, New York City. You know, the big cities, there's always these communities of people who are artists and sensitive and doing therapy and interested in personal growth you can find people like that but what if you're not in those communities I don't have one answer for that I have ideas one is the 12-step community no matter what program it is at least gives some of that If you go to 12-step programs in some outlying areas of America, it will be a Jesus program instead of a higher power program. And even there, you will hear a qualitative difference in the sharings. A lot of it will be more about fixing behaviors so that your granddaughter or your husband or your kid will come around or you will be in a better place and it works. It does work on that level, but the quality of sharing may still not be quite up to par with where you're at, but at least it's a place that you can show up in. It's anonymous, and you won't get blowback. In other words, You won't get people criticizing you. You won't get people coming after you. You will not get rejected and isolated. You may not make friends even in a 12-step program like that. But you will get a chance to be seen. And it also, in my opinion, will make you stronger. It's a practice arena to be seen in a fairly hostile environment or an uneducated environment that will look at you like what the hell are you and if you're that different from the community you're living in you will need that strength we talk about you know a revolution or being a healer and being a healer changing the world it doesn't mean you get to hang out with your own kind You look at the New Age community, and a lot of New Agers are healing New Agers, and everybody's talking to each other about New Age stuff. And it's a very ingrown, self-validating, self-affirming culture. But it's like, say, the Civil Rights Movement. It's one thing to hang out with all your Civil Rights buddies in the city. It's another thing to go into the Deep South and do a voter registration drive, where you're the only white person down there, or... You're part of a small organization working in an area where people are shot, still, for voting. If you really want to be a healer, and Spirit wants that also, trust that you will be placed like a candle in a dark corner. And that takes enormous strength means you will not have a self-validating community, where everybody pats each other on the back. And in many local communities, their churches do that for them. Everybody pats each other on the back, and then they go off and do the same old crap they've always done. And a lot of it is mean, and racist, and misogynistic, and nasty. (laughs) But they pat each other on the back, and they have their bake sales, and praise the Lord, and talk about their children. So being in a community where you're isolated, going to 12 steps, speaking up, and feeling the vibe reaction, but at least they're not pulling guns on you or kicking you out, is a good training ground if you want to be a healer or a teacher of some sort. You can also look at Starting your own community. Have a book club. You know, there's Meetup. And sometimes that's all you can do. I started with Meetup. A Facebook page in order to gather some people locally. And again, there has to be some caution if you're in a community that will come after you for teaching the devil's work and you have a Facebook page locally. There is some danger in that. And again, if you're asking people to have the courage to grow and be strong and step into a new world to be awakened to embrace spiritual growth, you're going to have to have some courage so they can have some courage, but it is not without some danger most of which will be emotional, psychological, but some of which can be physical, physical threats. One of the things about being a healer or a teacher and allowing spirit to make you a candle in a dark corner is you really have to get your relationship with yourself and with spirit up and running, super solid. You can't fake it. You're not gonna have a bunch of ladies come over and ooh and awe over crystals and essential oils. Instead, you eventually will draw in those excruciatingly lonely souls who have tried everything and yet still are searching for that missing something which is connection, energetic, not mm, external rituals and ceremonies and kind of partying, calling in the moon. Fun, very fun. I put it on the level of entertainment, which is enormously helpful, but not necessarily... A part of spiritual growth doesn't mean it isn't, but isn't it doesn't mean it is either so if rituals and ceremonies and calling in the moon and then telling her thank you you can go now That <laughs> that's fun for you more fun than hiking or cooking or whatever do it But daring to have a community is part of being a healer. Sometimes it just starts with family. That you continue to be different and you continue to stay connected to your family. Not, of course, if there is real abuse going on. Absolutely not. Not if you're in a fragile emotional state and they're triggering the heck out of you. No. Don't do it. But sometimes starting there is enormous. I had a sister that was so different from me. Loved her dearly, but she was like Miss Neiman Marcus, and I was thrift stores, and on it went. And I always talked to her about stuff I was going through and things I felt and believed, and she expressed her terror for me that I was cuckoo, and you know, maybe I had a serious mental health issue. But when I set a boundary with her about that, saying that discussion stops, or I stop talking to you. And she said, fine. <clears throat> so, she stopped that discussion. And I kept sharing with her. Come on, Pia. Being considerate, trying not to scare her, not sharing everything. And Literally 10, 15 years later, she had some kind of spiritual awakening. And she called me saying, I had this experience and you're the only person on earth I could think about to call who would understand what I'm about to tell you. And I wept. It had been worth it. I didn't know it at the time, by the way. I wasn't banking, like making deposits and hoping it would come through. It just turned out to be worth it. and We connected so deeply, and it was such a relief to me. (laughs) That is another point, which is if you're interested in being a healer or a teacher, You can't do it for the outcomes, because that's in the hand of spirit. My teacher has often said, and all the people are kind of wanting to be recognized for being a teacher or a healer, and wanted some kind of validation. His comment always was, if you save one person in your lifetime, that's good enough. And I never forgot that. So if you are able to show up for people in a way that's safe, and not putting your job or your health or your mental health in danger, and still hang on to your integrity, that's good enough. Find your community. It may be three other people. It might be just online in these days. It might be phone calls. It might be one person who gets one part of you, another person who gets another part of you, and another person who gets another part of you. That's okay too. In the meantime, you do have a best friend. He or she lives inside of you. And it is above you and all around you and yes it's not the same as human but then sometimes all you need to do is get around humans for about a half an hour and you'll reconsider how important that is (laughs) so as you learn and grow and get more open and more authentic and more vulnerable don't be afraid to protect yourself. Don't be afraid to study human politics, boundaries, negotiation, winning arguments, how to get promoted, how to do well in a job interview, etc. Do both. You live in the world. And waking up can make you extraordinarily lonely because you see the gap between where you are and where so many others are. It is hard. But remember what drove you to the journey in the first place. It means your life was already hard and sad and lonely, even if it was filled with people. We use our spirituality to grow and develop, and we also use it to develop our earth plane skills to survive the life we chose to live, in the time we chose to live it, in the gender We chose to experience and the gender choices we choose to experience. We chose our race, our religion. We chose it all. So rise to the occasion. This life is not here to punish you and torture you, though it may feel like that at times. You chose this life as a soul before you ever incarnated to challenge you. You weren't lifting enough weight. You weren't running enough distance. You weren't meditating long enough. And you said, if I come down this way, it's going to give me healthy stress and structure to evolve, to learn something I haven't learned yet as a soul that I can only learn in human form. That's the warrior part of the journey. You don't have to be stoic to do that, by the way. You just have to be aware. And it's okay to vent and cry and have pity parties. Just don't live there. Go there as part of healing. But don't live there, it'll wear you down. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to take baby risks. And if you feel guided by spirit, bigger risks. And don't be afraid to calculate when and where. To show some of who you you are to other people so that you might be a doorway for their awakening. I hope this helps. See you on the journey.